to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello, Barons. Welcome to today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast. We've got the whole crew in today, Philbert, Kipper, and Davman. G'day, lads. Hey, boys. G'day, guys. Thank goodness you're all here. <laughs> now, before we kick things off, I just want to commend you, Philbert, actually, on your uh, on your interview last week with um, course architect Mike Cocking from OCM. For those of you who have heard it, you know that it was certainly fascinating listening, uh, especially for anyone who's who's keen to learn a little bit about golf course design and where it's headed, sort of what's valued by the best practitioners and some other cool new concepts that are being amalgamated into some new designs that are coming out. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, make sure you do. Philly, you won't get a lot of uh, a lot of love from me generally, but there you go, mate. That was fantastic. Now, moving on to things a little less effusive, there is nobody better at venting a hate than our very own Philbert. So over to you, big man. <laughs> the floor <laughs> is yours. And before, before you do, Phil, I reckon we, we almost rename this segment. Instead of the hate, just it's Phil. just the Phil segment. The Philbert. <laughs> That's just not fair. In fact, I'll have you know that even with, uh, with young Michael, oh, I didn't even come up with a hate or a love because he was just far too intelligent and he would have shot me down. And <laughs> purely out of fear, I was sweating with every question I asked. Him. Now, unfortunately, gents, my hate's a hate love. So you're oh, just going to have to bear with me. <laughs> well, I just ha- he does this. I just have to. Here's, here's what I thin. hate. No, I understand it's wearing thin, and we'll get onto that. I hate watching someone hit a shank because I know the feeling so well. I I know what happens when the ball hits the <laughs> hosel. I, I sense their pain, <laughs> and I, I feel for them. I am full of empathy and sympathy. It, it's devastating. Unless now, my love, unless. It's a tour pro, in which case I have genuine joy that for that little moment, for that one second, I was as good as they were. So I would like to hate the shank and love John Rahm oh, at the that Zozo Championship on 18 for showing me that a shank really is pretty close to a perfect shot because for that one split second, I was as good as him. <laughs> before, before we go on, Phil, I did. I saw a, um, I saw a, a meme of that where someone had said, uh, when, your fr- when your mate tells you, I, I hit it a little right, and then they've shown it, and it's just <laughs> like, a, like a bullet right. Magnificent. Magnificent. <laughs> the, amount of to- the amount of times that, that, that person thinks they've got it off the toe as well, I love that. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's right. that cracking sound that comes from their heel, it's like no other. You can, you can hear it six fairways across it's a and you're like oh do you know no, Kipper, the funny thing out. the funny thing about that i've actually got a little note here laughing at people who say it came off the toe <laughs> <laughs> and i'm telling you that one of the three people that i can see in my little zoomy camera that finally works has claimed that from time to time haven't they damien <laughs> anyway i'm going to be having trouble with my earphones so we're going to move on to to my hate this weekend um, it's it's sticking with the having a bit of a dig at the pros, Phil. I can't stand on course petulance. I can't stand when when people crack the sads when they. I was going to explain what that is when they break. Okay, well I'm trying to uh, when they you know breaking clubs, throwing clubs, chucking tantrums, basically. Uh, so, and Rory, so Rory McIlroy, he's a serial. I was going to say he's you- a serial offender. Um, he hasn't. He's actually been pretty good for a while. But again, over at the Zozo Championship. Um, he, you know, he hits a shot, doesn't, isn't happy with it, and he breaks his club. And, and look, look, <laughs> this is not a, this is not just beating up on them, saying, you know, oh, these guys are terrible, they're role models, and this and blah blah blah. But I just, it just personally, I find it, it's one of those things in golf I absolutely hate. I hate seeing. It. I think it's a really bad look for the game. And then you hear him like he's talking to the Irish Times, and or he says, oh, it's not the first club I've broken, and it won't be the last. You know, sort of in a jovial way. And I just think, pers- it's just a, one of those personal things that I hate. It's like it's like tennis players smashing their rackets. Oh, correct, yeah. But but I um I I don't mind the <laughs> the absolute fury and then the accidental break. But the the kind of as you say the petulant childish break that he he, he intentionally leaned on that shaft till it snapped. Therefore, he couldn't get injured. Uh, so that's the first <laughs> thing that annoyed me. And the second thing then to go ahead and do the old muscle snap. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you there, Dave. But I thought to myself, come on, man, like just have a crack throw it. But, but there, there, the other thing that I find interesting is that there are some people 
that we actually enjoy watching them have that tantrum. Like there's some characters mm. in sport where someone throws a tantrum and you go, well, he's just a sport brat. But this guy over here, we love it and we just laugh at them. And I, I, yeah. I wonder what is the difference. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bore well, you quickly it- with a story here, Dev. Uh, and it, oh, I was talking to Mike Cooking about it. Prior to our, our podcast. <clears throat> Name drop. I was watching the Australian Open at Victoria Golf Club uh, and a friend of mine, I was watching with a mate of mine, watching another friend of mine, uh, Andrew Shuden, play. And he <laughs> was playing with Jeff Ogilvy. And they got to uh, 14 at Vic, the short little par four down around the corner. Uh, 15, sorry. And Ogilvy hit the greatest shot in, as I said to Mick, of all time. I mean, this could have stopped an inch from the hole and just kept going. And Jeff Ogilvy at that time had a reputation for blowing up. And so we're in the gallery going, spit it, spit it, spit it, spit it. <laughs> um, and it rolled over the back and we didn't quite get our glory. And then he's played one of the greatest attempted up and down. So the the hole at Vic, 15 at Vic, drops yeah. hard away on the left side. He has played potentially the best lob shot coming back that I've ever seen. And the ball was teetering on the edge, literally of a three-foot part or going back down to his feet. And as soon as it started moving backwards, spit it, spit it, <laughs> spit it, spit it. So we actually had to move away because we were giggling, um, having already been given the ass by a couple of other mates. So, yes, there are some people you do enjoy spitting As, the dummy. Did he did he pitch in from 75 metres there by any chance, Phil, for birdie? Off for eagle, sorry. people can do that. Not dummy. many. Not many can. Anyway, that's by the by. <laughs> can I ask a question? Why wouldn't Rory, how's this for a PR stunt? So how to turn a spit, a, snap, a shaft snap into a great story? If you're prepared to sacrifice that club for the rest of your round, walk over to one of the marshals or someone in the gallery or otherwise and just hand them to it. It'll be the same Mm. message. Mm. It'll be far more cathartic. And you're still without the club and you can move on. But I I hear a lot of people sort of put up a defence of it and say these guys are under a lot of pressure and they're just venting their anger and they need to get rid of it. But, look, I I get that to a degree, but... I mean, if I worked in an office and I was and I was getting angry because I'm under a lot of stress, am I allowed to hurl a stapler across the room? That wouldn't go down well, would it? So, so why? So why? Well, well, not when legal saw it. But why, why is it? Why is that okay for for sportsmen who are paid? So you know, I suppose the money is probably not even that relevant, but they are paid a hell of a lot of money to to do what they're doing, and. Why is it okay for them to act like that? And I personally, it's just one of my. It's just a genuine hate I have. I, I think it's ugly but, for a game that is mm. um, that is the a flip side of that, that though. Or, uh, the other the other side, I guess, Dave, you got to throw in there is that you know golf extraordinarily uh, vanilla as it is. So anything that anyone does is wonderful. Mm. But you don't. Ha- but you don't have to go to an absolute extreme. <laughs> you don't have to go from, yeah. from miserable uh, to no. complete wanker. I agree, but it still made a highlight reel. <laughs> and so, I don't and know. Like, yes, I, I think I think tennis is a good ex- a good example of that because you, you see yeah. people obliterate a racket. It, yeah. it, it, if you take it as an isolated act, it's quite violent. Yeah. Like, <laughs> tennis players <laughs> leaning over and just pummeling this racket into the ground on, repeatedly. But that'd change. Like, that'd change quick smart. If they weren't, if they're only allowed a couple of rackets, they'd have, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, it's within oh, their yeah. control. It's absolutely within. It's, it's like it's like Donald Trump with a mute button. He knows there's a mute button, and all of a sudden he behaves himself. <laughs> there's no point. Anyway, so there's there's my hate. I'm I'm done with it. I, I don't want to have to talk about Rory doing this again. I feel like I've said it too many times yeah, well. in my journalistic career. <laughs> well, my hate's a little bit similar to to Phil's, and I, I managed to get out and have a hit. This week, now that we're allowed to do that, and so in in the basic sense, I hate being terrible at golf. So that's that's the first thing. But the, to to be more specific, I hate being terrible in a really unpredictable way. You, you, you aim to hit the ball flush, and I'm trying not to fat it, so I thin it. I'm trying not to thin it, so I fat it. I wish if I just had some consistency with how terrible I was, I could just aim to not mm. do that one thing. And it and it and it's sort of giving me. A, a question if I was able to do that, what would the preference be? Would, would, would I be better off slightly thinning it or slightly fatting it? Is there a better way to miss hit a ball? I think this general? one's for you, Kipper. Well, undoubtedly, Dave, thinning it because a bunch of pros, even you know, good old famous Hogan used to try to hit some shots off the, uh, the second groove that comes at a little lower spin and still travels the distance and blah, blah, blah. But and fatting it, you're immediately short and – Ultimately, depending on the the wetness of the grass and the density of the grass, you, you're either really short <laughs> or you just you're just never going to get to the hole. So, mm. definitely thinning, it, thinning it's the way 
to go if you can. <laughs> I'll see what <laughs> but, I can do, Kipper. <laughs> but but the, the, you, what you should do, there's a great book called Solid Contact, and I should know the name, written by oh, – I've gone blank here. Um, I'll remember it in a second. A tremendous book, though, Solid Contact. Anyone, uh, any of you three want to Google that quickly? <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> um, but it goes on about really one and two uh, fault fixes, right? which is all a golf swing is. Right? It, uh, varying levels of golf, if you're an absolute beginner or an elite player, doesn't really matter. To hit the ball better than you do, you've either got a one-fault or a two-fault fix. Right? And, and the best way to explain that is if this solid contact you're talking about and, and thinning it and fatting it, if you fat it right, normally, right, you're either going up and down with your height or you're casting, right? one of the two. If you thin it, because you've usually you know, fatted a few shots, you now start pulling your arms in, right, to compensate for the up and downness in your in your body height right. or the casting, right? So you have Jim Hardy, there you go, thank you, <laughs> thank God, someone smart. Obviously, a very famous coach and and a great great read to be honest. But the thing about that book is it's it's really as simple as this: when you're on the driving range or on a golf course, you can get all caught up in technique as much as you want, but there is a one answer to your question or maybe a two. So if you duck your body down and pull your arms in, unfortunately, you've got a two-fault fix. You've got to not only fix the stability in your body, right. right? If you do that, you're going to miss the ball by a matter of inches, and that's very humbling for some people <laughs> to understand, right? But I get them in, in, in a studio situation, I show them that, and I say, look, you're two, you're two parts away from this, or you're one, right? So I don't know, Dave, I haven't seen you hit a ball for a while, but it'll it'll be a very simple thing to get you to get solid contact. It really will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either a one-fault fix and you can fix it literally in an afternoon or a two-fault fix that may take you a couple of weeks. Uh, and, and and you do. You always want to be able to get the ball first. So if that means thinning it, that's that's your answer. Beautiful. So, Taylor, pros always, these prefer to hit the ball longer rather than shorter the hole. It's, yet again, Dave, that's a, that's a really interesting because shorter the hole is safer. There's no doubt <laughs> about that, right? Yeah, front edge, you hold the health caddy. Um, but 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 if you're fatting a ball or pre pre ball contact where you, you're getting it heavy, it doesn't. You can't do anything that you were trying to do to that ball. So the spin doesn't work left to right or right to left. Um, you know, carriers all of it goes out the window. So all of a sudden, what you were trying to do, which is usually move a ball into a, a pin or or whatever it might be you've lost all of it and all you're doing is ending up way short of where you were and either left or right because the face got caught up and opened or closed on you so yeah thinning it is better but ideally neither there you go there you <laughs> i'll go. be needing some loves people <laughs> yeah i've got one. some love i've Bring got one here <clears throat> and it's more of a relief love phil it's a bit of relief i better explain this quickly the the concept <laughs> of hitting the reset button which I which I can see is, is coming <laughs> rapidly. And what I mean is obviously 2020 has been a year to forget in many respects. We've sort of been on this out-of-control train. and it, But now it looks like the conductor has regained control just as we're pulling into the station. And I'm looking forward to 2021, which is now just around the corner. It's in sight. And just, just to hit reset, get things back to relative normality in life, but also – in golf and and back to a, a more of a regular golf um, pattern and and just looking at the golf that's coming next year, uh, the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin. I can't wait to see that. I'm so excited, probably more excited for that Ryder Cup than I have been for one for a long time. And it's probably that's probably got something, or it's probably not a bad way to think about this wraparound season. Like, I'm not a fan of the wraparound season because I don't think it gives us a chance to miss golf. But now when I look at that that Ryder Cup having missed it this year, I'm so looking forward to it next year. And and I think that little that sort of absence makes the heart grow fonder type thing. Um, I like that the Masters is going to be back next year at its proper scheduling in April. I know we're going to talk a little bit about, about the upcoming Masters a little bit later, boys. But all the greenery, the shrub- shrubbery and the, you know, the flowering as it should be at the right time in April, I'm so looking forward to hitting that reset button and 2021 being an absolute belt-up. Yeah, look, and just he's got a couple of great points there. That that, that one about the, the reset button is obviously I think everyone's got a one shot with this COVID stuff to think about maybe some things that they would like to do a little bit different than they were in, mm-hmm. the, in the rat race that we're all running and got, probably got a shot to do that, which we never would have had. So that, that is, a, that is a, as a real positive. But the wraparound season you mentioned, mentioned Dames, I'm with you there. I it's like 
you said you, you, you sort of you don't get a chance to sort of to miss it. I suppose yeah. it's just yeah, absolutely to miss it. I feel like you don't get a chance to appreciate yeah. it either because they they yeah. you know work all the way up to the finals like they're doing the FedEx and the NBA and everything and then and then they're straight back <coughs> in the next week and you're like well hang on mm. what about the championship mm. what about the yeah. what about the winner celebrating and getting on the beers for about a month yeah. um, what about that yeah, it, it so, detracts yeah. from that achieve, uh, that achievement as well it's, it's def- at least it deflects <laughs> it doesn't necessarily detract but it deflects from it doesn't it it really yeah it really mm. yeah it, it almost not that it minimizes it. Per se, but yeah, you don't get to you know to celebrate the the bigger yeah. moments. But it just gives a chance to miss it. It's like mm. for me, it's like cricket. Mm. I can't wait for someone to roll around because here comes cricket. If it's on all year, I, I might not be as excited about it. Yeah. It's a similar sort of thing for me. Anyway, that's that's my by the by. That's yeah. my love. Have you got anything for us, Dav? I do actually. A, a little side love. This is a little minor love. Ooh, a side love, gents. Just just following on from um, our la- <laughs> the last time I featured on one of these podcasts, gents. I uh, I said I couldn't hit a green on a par three with an iron. Well, I I did it. I did it this week. <laughs> yes, so hit, hit off the deck. Yes, hit off the deck. <laughs> and wow, wow, we were. There's a little Borat throw there. <laughs> off the deck. <laughs> Manage. <laughs> Managed to, to hit the green. So, so thanks for your chi- tips, who, Jen. So, who, was, who was telling you to uh, just to hit it off the deck? Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Well, there's a bit <laughs> of a confusion. There was a bit of confusion about whether I meant a T or a T uh, uh, from memory. Uh, <laughs> that's that, that tip right there. That's uh, 200 bucks in the uh, Dion Kipping stable. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah in, the, in the fund. What, uh, tell us about the shot, though, Dave, just quickly. Uh, was it a long iron, short iron, and, and did Three you bucks? stiff it, or was it did it scrape onto the green? It, it, um, so, it was, it was a seven. Seven iron mm. that landed smack bang in the middle and then headed Ooh. straight for the edge. So I thought I thought it was, <laughs> I was going to get robbed. I thought, here we go. <laughs> Celebrated too early and it just stayed on by about an inch and a half. How many putts, Dad? I love it. Uh, three. Oh, that's a solid bogey. I like how you said it, it landed on and headed straight for. I was expecting pin, but no, straight for the edge. Straight for the edge of the grass. So it was a quite a long first putt and then a relatively easy putt for par that I uh, blew. And so uh, in for four. Thank you. And I'm, I'm going to follow on here with the love and a hate uh, off from you, Phil. If you can tie me to one, I'm, that, I'm following your lead on this because <laughs> you. you are the king of hates. Yeah, thank you. So I uh, played today with a, uh, a gentleman and – the hate and love here is that it can be all in one go for a, a person going out to play that hasn't played in a long time, right? And the, the part about that was that you're going to be rough, right? And you've put in maybe a bit of work over this ISO patch. And this gentleman did. He put in a lot of work over the ISO patch, came out and rushed the tee sort of thing. You're not allowed to hit anymore and all that sort of stuff to warm up. And away we go. And it was not good news for the first few holes. <laughs> and you could just see the guy get genuinely down on himself. It was just horrible to watch because I'm like, he's actually done some good work here, but it just he wasn't, you know, letting it go and doing all the things he needed to do on the course. But give it another three, few holes and it's calmed the nerves and whatnot. And then it started to come good and then he could see some fruits of his, of his labour. So the hate for me was watching someone who I genuinely wanted to do well, not achieving what they wanted to do. And actually, you could see them just sink. Like, they were absolutely broken. They'd done all this work. And I was like, I hate how, how someone can do work in this game. And it's a rare thing to do work in this game and, and sometimes almost get worse <laughs> before they get better. Phil. Right? And the love was that just in nine hours, I watched the guy go from the lowest of lows to walking off so happy and ready to go for, for his next round because it started to come good and he could see some fruits of his labour and, and you know, I taped him on course and we could see a few things that were happening in a, in a really good <coughs> sense. And he, he walked away happy as Larry. <laughs> so it was an absolute rollercoaster. I reckon there'd be a lot out there in uh, in this state anyway <laughs> in Melbourne that, that haven't been able to play and probably going through the same thing. So hang in there, everyone. Well, it's, <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that, Kipper, because another thing that, that I enjoyed this week was Cigar Aficionado, Aficionado released a one-hour interview with Michael Jordan that they hadn't – this is back from a couple of years ago. They had released little snippets, but they released the whole thing, and I sat and enjoyed it. I love how obsessed someone like Michael Jordan, who doesn't have to – he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to do anything ever. And the guy plays 36 <laughs> holes Probably has to of golf almost every day, right? The guy, the guy could do anything he wants, mm. and he chooses to play 36 holes of golf every day. And he, and he talked about how – 
pretty sure it was Rory McIlroy, not to bring him up again, but uh, uh, they, they mentioned that they're neighbours and he just cannot comprehend as much as he plays and how much bigger and more explosive an athlete he is than Rory. He cannot comprehend why that guy can out-hit him. Like he just cannot yeah, yeah. Understand, <laughs> understand no matter what he does. And it's not a question of athleticism, size, levers. The guy has like long arms. He plays every day. I'd love to know. Well, I think two things come out of that for me is, you know, have you guys played, maybe we can talk about this later, have you guys played with a celebrity, a high-profile person who is not a golfer but just happens to love the game? But secondly, why is it that someone who's five foot eight, skinny, scrawny, can out-hit <laughs> a six-foot-six monster like Michael Jordan? Jeez, I'll leave that to you, Phil. <laughs> this is at the crux of Cameron of Operation Champ, Kipper. I know because the levers. I can't tell you the number of times people have said before we've hit off. Oh, geez, you're tall. You must hit it a long way. Now I'm not taking the not, piss out. Not, of a, not a great impression. Oh, there, geez, Phil. you're tall. You must hit it a long way. Yep. Oh, that's made me not. That, that's, that's right. That's right. And then Uncle Tap Tap comes along. I'm like Uncle Chop Chop's younger brother, Uncle Tap Tap. And just tap, tap away. So, Kipper, <laughs> oh. because this is an important question that they've asked, I'd like a genuine answer that you can then just email me. And I forgot get. the question. Just I How is it a midget, purely- <laughs> a little Irish squibby snappy club over the knee midget Northern Irish. can hit the ball further oh. than an elite Rolls-Royce athlete super explosive <laughs> goat Best ever, undisputable. <laughs> well, if if yeah, oh, look at, at the end of the day, it, it it unfortunately does come purely down to technique. And the only way I can compare this is uh, Shooter, who is a jet with oh, here the, we know, go. the old AFL football. For those who don't know, absolute jet. If I was next to Shooter and Shooter was kicking a football, I could tear the bone off my quadricep, hamstring, and calf all in the one go. And still not even get probably half a distance that shooter can kick. And it, it's just all about technique. I remember going down to Goshi's Paddock at um, the old Collingwood uh, Haunt there and lasering the 50-metre line right with my golf laser because I didn't believe that it was 50 metres because I couldn't <laughs> kick that far. <laughs> right? And so, so at the end of the day, it, it really hasn't got anything necessarily – to do with your body stature, that does help. There's not no doubt about that. But this is where you've got a lot of chance here, Phil. Is that <laughs> the, you've got the levers, you've got the length, and you've just got to add the right technique to get the most out of it. And it's the same as Jordan. If you watch Jordan swing, it's 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 extraordinarily loose, right? And that's the type of fluency that he brought to his his basketball as well. Mm. Right? It was fluent fluent and loose and everything. But golf isn't fluent and loose. Golf is structured and tight mm. and even the guys that do look fluent and loose like your Bubba Watsons and your Jack uh, Nicholas's they're, they're extremely wound up and coiled to the max and their shoulder turn like Jordan Harley turns his shoulders like um, so there's a there's a lot to why I guess Rory hits it as far as he does mm. and it, honestly it all and comes be, down to his and to be fair money to can't Rory. buy you everything right <laughs> no. and to be fair to Rory he also is able to, to uh, rip it at a fairly decent clip as well <laughs> compared to Philbert what, yeah, it's it was, a completely but, irrelevant comment. What I was going to say, though, speed also is, that, is that the great man, the GOAT, had every opportunity, could have had access to the best teachers in the world. So this is one of the other things, the great things about mm. golf. And he would they, have. They can, they can give themselves every opportunity to address the issues that Kipper's talking about, as Kipper is going to address with me. Yet at some point in time, he said, I'm the GOAT. I can choose not to. Like no one's ever had yeah. to, no one's ever had to teach me how to shoot, how to run, how yeah. to jump. So I will do, teach do you myself who, golf. Do you know who else is? Uh, I've had dealings with Kevin Peterson in the past. Um, coached him a few times in Melbourne when he's been in here with his um, Melbourne Stars and blah blah blah. And he's the exact same kind of mindset because they're so good at what they've chosen to be good at. You know, you cricket. When you try to make them understand that it's not just about hitting a billion balls and, and just getting better because that's what I thought it was when I was younger. Hit a billion balls and I'll be the best player in the world. It's not It's not like that. It's the only sport where it's the ball's static and process will produce a result. And they, they don't understand athletes in in a sense won't understand that because that's why they're athletes, right, because they're good at hand-eye, they're good at reaction, they're good at all the stuff that you'd, golf doesn't require you to be good at. Golf's a process sport. That's all it is. So once they get their head around that, 
they can become great, but they just can't get their head around that because they just think, oh, I'm, I'm good at everything, so let me just hit it. What, what can help along the way, though, is a little bit of technology. Yeah, he loves his because products. I can't, <laughs> Here we go. And because I can't help myself, I am going to talk a little bit technology because there is there is some awesome new product. But one product in particular is going to start with a couple of questions. Where do you reckon the best place to hit a sand iron would be on the face? Like what would be logical? Ooh. What would what would be logical about a sand iron? Close to the Where centre, I would have thought. What well, you'd say close to the centre? In the middle. Thought. Do you think in the middle would um, be logical? I feel like it's a so, trick question. <laughs> but well, it might be a but trick I'd question. like to hit it high and right on the toe, but that's... Right. Okay. So on a wedge, sand iron or, or otherwise, the centre of gravity of a wedge is traditionally on the hosel side. So when you actually look at... If you would ever look at the wear marks of good players and their, their irons, you'll always find that the wear mark is slightly closer to the heel because they've naturally adapted to hitting the ball exactly out of the middle. Because the middle, the centre of gravity is not in the middle of a wedge, which means that every time you hit the ball on the toe side of centre or from centre and further out, the club is actually going to twist open and therefore not be as accurate. So our very dear friends at Mizuno have said, bugger that. So they've been able to develop a wedge called the ES21, and this thing is just absolute engineering genius in that they've been able to move the centre of gravity and pull the centre of gravity almost (coughs) 10 millimetres. I thought it was about From a the centimeter. heel towards not only dead centre of the club, but slightly higher in the club. So when you hit the ES21 in the middle, it's the middle. The other thing you're trying to do from a control point of view is actually hit your wedges just below the CG, ideally, so you can get that controlled flight. Is this on all wedges? This is fascinating to me, Phil. Are you, are you telling me this has been a, a concurrent problem through wedges for the last 20, 30, or 100 years? Think, or 20, yeah, 30. think forever in, in club design. So if you think about the length of a sand iron's head, so as mm. clubs get shorter, you think about the length of the head and also the size of the hosel. So what has tr- tended to happen is that the hosels got thicker and longer as the heads got shorter because they've needed to maintain the weight of the head. D- does that mean, Phil, that the pros mm. who have adapted to working out the former centre now are going to have trouble because they're going to start hitting it uh, hitting it far too close to El Hosel? Yes, it's the former centre known as Prince. The so the the middle, the, I mean, they adapt to everything, and, and in reality, you'll see the majority of the wear marks are bang on. But if you look at even going back to Hogan's days, and I remember this when I was working at Hogan, is that some of the wear marks of the great players when you actually go through the clubs, the wear marks are, do become dead centre, but they don't aren't always dead centre if that makes sense. So the, the long irons was always traditionally maybe slightly on the toe side, and the shorter irons were slightly on the heel side of absolute middle. It's fascinating. Has that got something to do with the optics? When you look down at the centre of the elongated three iron versus a nosy, punchy wedge, no, it's a, when you look down, it's purely CG. So, so that's one of the interesting things about ES twenty one by Mizuno is that the they've got the centre of gravity in the middle of the face, so actually vertically and horizontally, so it's yeah, actually dead right. centre of the face as opposed to just centering it and having it traditionally low, because I mean, again, if you strike a ball above the centre of gravity, it's going to come out. Potentially higher, but potentially potentially with less spin. So what they're mm. trying to get is the absolute control. So they want you hitting it out of the middle every time because why would you need to be thinking about that? And now mm. the fact that I've yeah. mentioned it is going to get everyone thinking about it. So we're going to see more Shanks, more John Rams this weekend <laughs> out on the golf course than ever before because everyone's going, damn, I knew I'd, that's why I missed it five feet right. Just to follow on, I don't want to bore people with this, but with the CGI then of a, of a long iron, though, it'd be more, more centre to toe, though. Not here. It's only fractional. Yes, it'll never be heel side. Yeah, it's only fr- it's only yeah. fractionally. But so so what I, well, I guess the question I had there was the more that you go down your bats, and you said that the, sometimes the wear mark may move for, for for a pro from wedge internally towards a heel to you know out towards the toe a little bit more. We're talking millimeters here, yeah. but out towards the toe is a long one. Would that have something to do more with the way they look down the weapon? And they're, they're, it's their center, so to speak, rather than the center of the actual mass. Be the ball. Would it be, is it more visual? No, no, it, it's actually a genuine measurement. So CG is a genuine measurement of centre of mass of, mm. of the club. Yeah, but I just wonder if their wear mark is more a result of a visual <laughs> rather oh, yeah, than, a, than them. They're, they're, yeah. they're no Michael Jordan. They're, they're more Rory McIlroy like- type players. But, <laughs> but what I was going to finish on is purely just the tech. So the other thing they've done is, so it's actually a two-piece construction, and this is a premium <coughs> priced wedge. But if you look at it, the back of it, you'll see this this marginal bulge and so to be able to drag the center of gravity out they've put a separate stainless steel piece on the back 
with really no weighting in the heel at all. So all the weighting is high and toe to try and drag the CG up and across. The face is a 1025 boron face, so you're going to get quad cut grooves um, with a hydroflow groove, so it's great in the wet. Lasts forever. Um, and durable. But it, it's just genius, and it, it has taken genuine engineering genius to be able to get the CG oh. in the middle of the face, and they look so, awesome. I'll tell you one thing. I know we're getting on the game changes here in a second, but uh, I would love to get drunk with you, Philip, and <laughs> talk this stuff all night because <laughs> – it, it's fascinating. I've been in this game for 30 years and, and I'm hearing stuff that you just don't get taught this even on tour. They just give you a club and go, Do you hit like it. it? And yeah. if you can do it within three hits, then that's it. If you can't, you, you tell them, fix it. <laughs> but it, it's, ama- it's amazing. It's, it's fascinating. Anyway, do you know what I love, carry on, do you know what I love about the backhanded compliment, Kipper? It's going to need you drunk <laughs> to be able to put up with me talking about this rubbish all the time. But I do love, look, I, I genuinely that's love That's a caveat the te- for most things, though. With- <laughs> <laughs> but I do genuinely love the technology. Exactly. I, I, I love, and when I heard about this and read about this, and there's a great video with Chris Voschel, V O S H A L online. And if you want to actually hear it from the mouth of the guy who did it, mm. you know, forgetting the bore and all these other things, just about adjusting the CG and all the benefits of it, 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 it is fascinating. And I encourage everyone to at least have a look. At this wedge, ah, no, I'll just listen to you. It, it is a game changer. Yeah. Don't worry about me. <laughs> it's way better. But it is a game changer. Well, I reckon I've got a bit of a game changer, nice. Phil, in the way of giving giving people a chance, giving people another chance, throwing people a lifeline on the course. See, what I've noticed about golf is that everything is geared towards trying to make you add scores to your game. I know we're trying to keep our scores down, but everything about the golf course, the sand traps, the the hazards, the water, it's all about adding numbers to my already inflated tally. So I think the game needs <laughs> opportunities throughout the course to help you just fast track dodge some elements. So it might be, you know, on the, on the seventh hole, you've got an opportunity to, 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 instead of going for the green, there's a target Maybe it's a gong, maybe it's a particular tree, <laughs> something that you can go for instead that if you miss it, you're going you, it, to, it's, it's a booby. You, you're going to add shots to, to, to your round. But if you hit it, booby. straight to the next hole, straight to the next tee, bypass the <laughs> oh, green. And I think that as you get a further into the round and if you're four or five shots back, the game's over. Maybe throw a few, a few in there, you know, add, add one on the 16th, maybe one on the 17th, an opportunity for someone to get back into the game with a bit of a Hail Mary. You know, and I think it's, it's sort of like you're playing video games. They give you these opportunities to, 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 to dodge a villain or to skip a level. I think we need a bit of that in the game of golf. This reminds me a lot, Kipper, of our um, a bit of indoor golf when we were playing Waggle when, when we were playing indoor golf, and I gave her the chance to uh, to take three three shots off by hitting the uh, hat on the old kittykin, yeah. exactly. and you only missed it by a bees, but didn't it add some excitement? Exactly. Dad, I reckon you're onto a winner here. Well, at, at Oregon, Dad, I, I dead set reckon this will happen. I don't know how many decades away, but there will be track many you know things on every hole, and there'll be a little TV there. And when you tee off, you'll either wear VR glasses or whatever it hey, might be. A, this is a bit of and a you can talking you know, my hit, language, Kipper. Like hit, hit through the the freaking augmented what call it, the- reality. They call yep. it. Do you know what would be <laughs> awesome <laughs> at some stage? Would be for the people on our podcast to have listened to our podcast um, oh. because they would well. then they would then know that augmented re- augmented reality has been howled down. Has already been no mocked and ridiculed out of the building. <laughs> I'm not driving a dinosaurs and rabbits, but I think that is the extension of it, Kipper. You're exactly right. And, yeah. Dav, it's this idea of – so initially it was that the, the Simpletons version is the two-flag system where they've played – I don't know the name of the comp, but where you've got the safety flag and then you've got the almost the pirate flag, which you can potentially earn double points on or otherwise, but you've got to nominate. It's just the safety valve. It's a get-me-back-in-the-game. It's like a – Ooh. A press and a bet, and I, I got to be honest, I don't mind it. I, I, I quite like, if I hit that tree, I win this hole. I quite like it, Dave, yeah, because yeah. it takes takes out one of the parts of golf I'm not a huge fan of putting. Because if you just have to hit a target, <laughs> I don't have to putt. That's, You're not the- a huge fan of hitting a target either, though, David. Oh, you know, and, and, or maybe it's target. maybe it's 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 sending <laughs> it's sending your opponent back to the tee. They've got to start the hole again. Oh. Yeah, there's all these other oh, things you this can is do. Getting good. You can make it personal. You can make it personal. Person foot. <laughs> I love it. That, that's got legs, it. Dev. It just takes someone with the courage to play around and exploit it. And I think that actually has, it's, it's the idea that could be developed 
as you go around over nine holes where you're like, okay, we're just going to do this. And this is what one of the joys of the game, forgetting the normal rules that everyone plays by. When you're playing with a couple of mates, <laughs> just make fun. up Absolutely. crap as you go. Hit we're, that tree and I'll yeah, leave you. We're a sumo. You know, there's all these things you could <laughs> yeah, do, lads. Yeah. I tell you what, this already exists. I've just thought of a place, a old Waverley golf yes. course. You, I, you can't go around there without hitting a pal. Like, yeah. it's just a, it's ex- <laughs> or the Italian Open. <laughs> <clears throat> but I tell you, have you hit a drone, gents? Back to the start, and uh, <laughs> I'll send you the bill. <laughs> I like it, Dev. I love that's it. Excellent. You, that's one of your better Very ones. Good. That, that's good by you, Dev. Mm, you've, you've dreamt up an absolute beauty there. And speaking of golf dreaming, I know Phil has got, got a uh, an absolute cracker today, or so he says. I don't even know what he's talking about. Okay, this golf dreaming, every now and again, it's the surprise of the hidden gem, and we talk a lot about hidden gems uh, as we go around. But places you either didn't know existed or have just never been, but they're within reach. Uh, And there's a golf club in Melbourne, in the south of Melbourne, and its nickname is one of the greatest nicknames of a golf club of all time, Millionaire's Golf Club. Frankston Golf Club. There's a nine-hole golf course in in. Frankston, just south of Melbourne, sitting in the middle of the trees, funnily enough, at the end of Golf Links Road, so someone must have known about it. Never heard of it. That's been there for 110 years. Never heard of it. That is meant to be a cracking little track, gets great write-ups from the people who are lucky enough to play it. I was going to say, but it's it's an exclusive one, isn't it, Phil, though? Uh, Well, it is the Millionaire's Golf Club for a reason. It's a a little (laughs) bit of a a hidden secret. So it's not an ironic name, only. I don't believe it's green fee. I've never played that. I don't believe it's green fee, but- but one yeah. of the one of the great stories about it. So when I when I decided that that this was going to be our dreaming, you then do a little bit of research, which is as I say unusual for me. But they were so committed <laughs> to Australian flora and fauna in this little nine holer that when Hillsville Sanctuary first opened, it provided a lot of the kangaroos and emus for Hillsville Sanctuary. So hmm. the people who started it said, "We are going to show that golf courses can be seamlessly integrated into nature and can actually help support." Flora and fauna, as opposed to yeah. being the devil and the destroyer of it, integrated um, into it by bringing the fauna in. Interesting. They were there already from hills. The camels were a little bit obscure, but that, <laughs> that's by the by. But but it's just the idea that that within any town, any city, or otherwise, there might there might be not always, but there might be a hidden gem. And of all the golf courses that I aspire to still play in Australia, that is now on my list. It's half an hour from where I live but it may as well be 100 years away because I have no idea who I even have to talk to to get a hit. So I've, it is literally my dreaming because I don't know how to get on there. Is that I don't why know how to get on any other course in the world. Is that why you've brought it up here, Phil, just in the hope that uh, yeah. someone there's <laughs> listening and can go, hey, Phil, I can get you on, Phil. I can get you on. Listen, anyone listening. There's a height restriction, but we can work something out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in your research, Phil, there was no uh, Captain de Ring? No, uh, but there's no website. It wasn't heavily no, researched. There's no contact us on a website. There's no dial us. You, you, you go looking for images of Frankston Golf Club and you get five photos that have been taken by people who just happen to be playing. But then you read the reviews of the people who've played there, like some three of the best par fours I've ever played in my life. And these are people who are members That's of the Sandbelt. And it actually, the, the photos, as pixelated as they are, no offence to the people who took them, there's a really clear Vern Morecambe type shaping on the bunkers. There's a, there's a really crisp edge and they seamlessly flow into the fairways. It, someone needs to give me answers. I saw some drone footage of it, Phil, and quite frankly, I got a bit dizzy. Uh, it was a bit jerky for mine. So, you know, I, I, you've lost me already. If you, The quality to detail just isn't there. What's a shame they didn't lose the SD card, Dev. Yeah, well, that's true. Oh. They actually, it actually made it to uh, <laughs> made it go to again. <laughs> uh, Gee, I tell you what, you're never going to lose that one, Dan. No, no, no. never going to no. find it. I lost, uh, <laughs> I lost the card. I lost the card, but I'll never lose the hate, Kipper. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Frankston Golf Club, uh, actually, no matter where you are in the world, I encourage you to Google this thing because it is a nine-holler surrounded by houses, as I say, I won't say impossible to get on, but really difficult, as difficult as many courses in Australia to get on. But in the middle of, you know, one of our major centres. So uh, just dramatic dreaming. Someone help me. Please. Well done, Philip. Well done. Now, boys, I want to I start getting into some a bit more deeper, a uh, slightly deeper conversation. I want to talk about warm-ups. I know this sounds a bit strange, but... I want to sort of go delve down the um, the idea of when you turn up to a game, you, uh, up to a to, for a round with a, with a group of mates, and what what do you do? Are you a uh, go to the range? Like a lot of people will stretch on the actual um, 
on the first tee is what I'm trying to say. A bit of, <laughs> what I mean is a bit of static stretching. So I just want to talk a little bit about static stretching versus dynamic stretching. Now, now most of us either warm up hitting out on the range or or we get to the first tee and have, have a bit of a stretch, including or almost exclusively that that driver behind your head, <laughs> shoulder and back stretch. You know, that one, that, that's a classic. Yeah. But that kind of stretching was shown back in t- 2004 in a study interstatic versus dynamic stretching and, and range of motion and that sort of thing that it act, doing that sort of stuff actually reduces the amount of torque that you're actually able to do during the round um, so in golf terms that sort of what would that be keep a sort of the power that you get from the turn in the swing that you can generate yeah. correct yeah resistance of, of yeah and, yep. and what i found most concerning about this study uh, was that it showed that there was um, that that decrease of tor- in torque or force remained decreased for a period of 120 minutes. So in a four-hour round, if you did mm. some static stretching on the first tee, you've inhibited yourself through the first nine, and then you get to go in, maybe grab a drink and come back out, and you have another stretch on the tenth tee, and you've potentially ruined your la- ruined your round, <laughs> or or at least made it significantly harder. And then there was a follow-up study in 2009, which found that it also, um, the static stretching compared to the dynamic stretching, it actually found that it decreased your club head speed by about 4%, distance by 5%. Accuracy, this is a huge one, decreased your accuracy by more than 30%, and consistent ball contact was also considerably down. So- the fact that this has been this stuff has been out for I don't know for fourteen years in in total, and we still see so many amateurs, and we're probably guilty of it ourselves. But going into that that harmful static stretch, are we are we just creatures of habit, or do we just ignore the science, or is it just a case of too many of us sort of saying that you know we take our game seriously, but when it comes down to wait for it, Kipper, when it comes down to the specificity, we don't actually oh, carry yeah. through with it. Well, I think that there's a couple of things there. Like, I, I, as I said, I've been in this game 30 years. I've never heard it articulated so simply, Dames. It's, it's a very, very nice synopsis of all the stretching there because that's really what you're kind of trying to prevent the entire time on tour is exactly that, muscle isolation in any area, whether it's stretching, working out. You just don't want to be doing that because it's the number one way to injure yourself, to be, to, to be honest, if you're, if you're muscle isolating in, in a workout. And I did not know the stats on that at all. I had no idea. We were just fully aware that it wasn't great. But to hear those numbers is freaking staggering. Yeah, now it wasn't the, wasn't the largest study either. Like I, I generally don't put too much into studies that are less than sort of 2,000, you know, people or, or 2,000 subjects um, involved with it. So it was considerably less. I think there was – I think it was only – Oh, I can't me. remember. It was only me. It wasn't a huge. It wasn't a huge thing, but it's been it's been heavily cited throughout sort of yeah. um, sport. And I think it's there's there's a lot of yeah. There's a, and I've I've sort of read quite a bit about that as well. And in my time as a editor of a bodybuilding magazine, there was a lot of talk about you know um, exercise science and and I think you you see it even in you know seeing the cameras in the change rooms in in, in a, at a before an AFL game. You never see the athletes stretching anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they're warming up. They, they stretch at the end of the game. They stretch for to, to, to recover and to cool down. But warm-up is all about, you know, just slow-paced repetition of the game. But yeah. none of that, like you said, that static stretching out of the muscle fibers. Yeah, it's actually an, an, an inhibitor of performance. Yeah, sort of that, that gradual active dynamic warm-up. And yeah. this thing suggested to do that with golf clubs as well. So I wonder whether that's a that's a a lot of golfers are doing that sort of stretching is is because you know maybe it's a bit you know far be it for me to say I'm getting to that age myself but it's a bit of an older demographic they're a bit more old school they were brought up to to stretch before sport so it's just you know, creatures of habit a lot of people just do it it's something that kind of still gets passed down so you say you know a study 14 years ago a lot of the golfers that are you know you know our age and older are probably you know we're, we're taught to, to stretch before sport and they still do it i wonder whether that's a you know but that's sure, a contributing factor yeah, as well but sure i mean i don't think it's that big an issue with the professional golfers i mean these guys have 
the professionals Exercise telling them what to do. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And, yeah. and they'll listen to those. But I just mean from a from an amateur point of view, do we just not care that much? But like for Phil, I've seen Phil do that kind of stretch and he talks about his, his issues getting that length. Maybe that's it, Phil. Maybe that's all you need to do. You just need a bit more dynamic bit a bit more dynamism. You're you're right, Damon. That was a very good sleep. I do need more specificity. Look, I've considered I've considered Genesis before and I've decided not to. Um, I can tell you that I do not statically stretch since since discovering since you met since you met Kobe. Well, since I met Kobe and realised that I needed my arms longer, so I waved them around like helicopters and trying to increase my arm span because apparently that's the answer to it. Hitting it longer, but but the idea of of hip mobility and shoulder mobility and mm. and disassociation movements as much as association movements. So actually doing the the inverse of what you what you would normally do in a golf swing. It's all about that dynamic warming up. And you yeah. see, Dav, because you know I love to talk about basketball, particularly <laughs> watching the dream team when they came mm. down to Australia, watching the dream team warm up and the the method that they went through from low to high. So there was a lot of – there's side to side but also low to high. So there was from mm. – in one movement on one leg from scraping the ground to then elevating and jumping off the same leg. So it wasn't just side to side or anything else. So it was mm. low, high, left, right and then angular. And I think we could learn a lot about from it. But, Damo, to your point, maybe one of the issues is that there's not, one, a stretch that you can do without getting giggled at or, two, maybe golf clubs need to, as mine does, need to have stretching rooms – or somewhere where you can actually whip down while you're waiting for your coffee to be made and actually get your stretching out of the way before you go up onto the tee as opposed to it being a bit of an afterthought because mm. I think it creates longevity and it starts to create a more holistic approach for a well, club to care about the body. And, and I'm guilty of this myself, not the yeah. greatest, you know, sort of get up there and have it and tee off. But I tend to find that I play my, my best golf from about hole four, hole four or five. So I wonder if that's just the point that I've, I've done the all, all that dynamic um, stretching and all the rest of it. Up until I get to about the fifth, and then I'm like, "Oh, my body's body's in good shape now. Let's uh, let's go." So, I think the answer is that you guys are far too punctual, and you need to just jump out of the car and get straight to the tee because you've got no yeah. time. <laughs> and just that's, go. That's and my just style. Go back. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was I thought it was an interesting uh, interesting topic. But that's, it's all and to finish on Dames, I just think it's it's um, an education thing. As I said, I, I've been in this thing a long time. I've never heard it put so simply so i think i think it's just people just don't know you know no one's no one's going out there trying to get better at golf reading about how to stretch on the first tee mm. they're just reading about how to hit it mm. longer but there you <laughs> and, go so how, how to hit it longer maybe. is to is to stretch yeah. this is the thing that, like, I, it's, ironically it's really cool. yeah absolutely I, I understand but it's just no one's no one cares about that stuff like same with you know putting how do, how do, if anyone wants to play better how do you do it well you just putt better and then that that's it right but no one wants to do that <laughs> it's not fun so yeah I, I just think it's more of a thing they just no one's aware of it like to, to the level that they they maybe could be well i can tell you something else they're not aware of kipper hmm. i'm going to give you a quote that now this is from a few weeks ago <laughs> but it's from a little snob I, I mean a young player a very good player young fine young man <laughs> who i probably shouldn't name now <laughs> for fear of Problem. Anyway, I'll start again. Anyway, so this is a quote from Matt Fitzpatrick <laughs> from England. <laughs> and it's regarding Bryson, and this don't worry, this is not going to be a Bryson conversation, but Dav, I'm going to need your expertise here for part of it because I reckon you all come in at a different part of this quote. Okay. It's not a skill to hit the ball a long way in my opinion. I could go and put on 40 pounds. I could see a biomechanist and I could gain 40 yards but the skill, in my opinion, is to hit the ball straight. So there's a few questions that come of this. Well, the first one is Matty Fitzpatrick only weighs 40 pounds, so he's got to double his weight. Anyway, sorry. My question is who is Matty Fitzpatrick? Okay, don't worry, we'll get onto that. But but first of all, Daz. You're better than Yes. How long would it take? How long would it take? So, So just in terms of how good Bryson is, not that we're making this about Bryson, how long would it take to put on 20 kilos, well, 19.1 kilos, of genuine muscle for an elite athlete who was training their ass off and eating their ass off. 20 kilos? Yeah. <sighs> when you're starting at such a low base, they, they, there's a good opportunity to put on uh, quite a bit early, but to do it naturally, and by naturally I mean not taking anabolic steroids, <laughs> the, general, <laughs> the general consensus is that you might be able to put Two to five kilos on maybe, probably more. The average person is two, but five is possible within the first 12 months. 
And then it's Jeez. possibly one to two kilos for every year after that. Right. Perfect point. Uh, don't get ourselves in a in a Much easier to put case 40 kilos of fat on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So don't worry. No, no, don't No, I'm not going to go down there, don't But what I'm going to say, so so just this, because what it really leads into is, is one of the issues that our tour pros prima donnas that have largely come from privileged backgrounds have always got everything they want because mummy or daddy said they could have it rather than earning it and busting their ass. And you think about the caddy golfers who came through Spain. You mean today, started, though, Phil, you don't about, you? You mean the golfers today? today? Today, yeah. yeah. okay. Not golfers in so general. So the, gotcha. the, the Lee Trevinos who start with, yeah. with an iron bar or Sevy. the Jimenez who start with a four iron or Seve uh, and all these guys through to, let's say, a modern-day golfer like Matt Fitzpa- Fitzpatrick that despite being an, a professional athlete on a professional tour with personal trainers and everything else could flippantly say, oh, yeah, how easy would it be just to add 40 pounds, to add 40 <laughs> yards, even though Bryson now hits it straighter? To your point, Dev, in reality, Very Matt, hard. over the next five years, give it. so stop playing on tour, come back in five years' time and see where the game's got to. Look, what's going on with these people, <laughs> Kipper? Are they, are they literally silver – are the majority silver spooners or am I being a little bit harsh? Yes. No, they are. Mm. There's a very, there's a very famous. There's, 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 no, there's not even, there's not even a need to ex- extend that answer. Yeah, okay. Yes, they are. And 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 the issue in lies like a lot a lot of sports is that it comes back to why do golfers end up being that way as as a general rule, and that's deep seated. Right? We need to make it a lot more accessible, a lot more kid and women friendly, a lot more everything. So there's a lot of issues there that, that is why there is so many silver spoons out there playing. But um, there's absolutely but no the, doubt that that's, that's the way. The a lot strange of part of that quote for me is, as well as where he ends it with, but the skill in my opinion is to hit the ball straight. But the fact that, the fact that Bryson's hitting it that much further and still hitting fairways means he's not only hitting it further, he has to be by definition hitting it straighter because it's over a further distance. He's He's, he's lost 1.7% in accuracy and gained whatever it is, 30-something metres. And when we run the data spread on that, he's gone up something like 30% in accuracy. Exactly. Thank you. Thank, thank you for bringing stats mm. to my argument, Pete. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, but I didn't have, I didn't have no, good there's stats. A, there's, 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 a, there's a famous Arnold quote to talk about the, the difficulty in putting on muscle where Arnold Arnie, Schwarzenegger, you mean? Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. The, the, uh, <laughs> the other the, Arnie. The bodybuilding Arnie. The other Arnie. Sleep, sleep <laughs> Where someone says to him, um, because of his sheer size, they said, well, we would never want to look like you. And he replied, don't worry, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> Because to look like him That's requires awesome. an enormous commitment to putting oh, on size. So it's uh, not humanly possible for the vast majority of us. But it is that, that commitment. Is so so when we talk about, you know, grinding away, and yes, it's not all about muscle memory, but guys like Jack and Norman and Feldo and Tiger, you know, just went on a mission to get better and do more than anyone else and work harder than anyone else. And that that is all a few of them. Like, that's all Brooks did. Brooks just said, I am going to be a be- I'm going to be a major's beast. I'm going to work harder than the rest mm, of you. That's where his focus I'm going to get was. get fitter yep. than the rest of you. It was completely focused. Bryson had a strategy, as we've spoken about, and said the same thing. Oh. So Matt Fitzpatrick, all my question would be to young Matthew, the fine young man that he is, would be, show me your strategic plan for your golf or show me your own goals and the method that you are going to achieve top 10 in the world or top five or whatever your rankings are. But by all means, don't have a go at someone who is prepared to change so many things. And Justin Thomas came straight to Bryson's defence going, man, you know, I couldn't go into the gym and put on that weight. You know, this requires an emotional an emotional and a physical commitment that very few would be prepared to make, which is the same emotional and physical commitment that the greats of the game in any sport have made, be it Bo Jackson, be it Mm. Tiger Woods. Um, be it Jack Nicholas, be it Michael Jordan, and even more recently, be it someone like uh, Jimmy Butler, um, mm. you know, in the NBA, just because I can't help myself and always bring that up. Someone <laughs> who has just said, I, I just have to work harder than you. I just have to work yeah. harder than the rest because otherwise I'm not mm. going to get anywhere. So really, his quote should have been, I probably just need to work harder at something because I'm sure then something's <laughs> going to improve. Or anyway, um, legal is telling me the story. I think we should wind that one up there, oh, Phil. Let's uh, let's move into something slightly slightly lighter. One right up your alley here, Dees. Golf fashion, hoodies, Ooh. cargos. Mm. Is it time that we just allow this to happen? It's coming into golf. Sleeveless. Do we just let it happen? 
I'm, the Rafa, I'm the Rafa this. movement. I was going to say, I'm all about the sleeve. It's been a good COVID session for the Dion. But um, besides that, uh, no, look. The Dion. The Dion, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Dion. Been, been going hard on the roof, boys. Nothing but dumbbell curls. Um, all so, four killers. I've lost my train of thought there. What were we talking about? Oh, you. Yeah, Golf right. Yeah. <laughs> You put on your two to five kilos every year, Kipper. Good work. <laughs> oh, mate. I'd love 30%. that. God, when you talked about those, Come on, mate. I'm like, if I could put Come on back. Come back to me. Golf fashion. Sorry. Hoodies. Sorry. Cargos. Sorry. What was the question? Yeah. Now, look, I don't know. I'm a little bit of a traditionalist in that sense. I think that a cargo pant and a hoodie, it, it just looks a little bit silly. I don't like people wearing shorts even. That's how <laughs> stupid I am. Um, you know, I grew up. Playing this game in Arizona where it was 45 degrees, I still couldn't bear, bear the thought of wearing shorts. That's because you get to look at your just legs. My le- yeah, my legs put me off, but that's beside the point. No, I, I just, I don't know. I just like the sleek, nice look of a, a classy sort of player. Um, so, yeah, to, to kind of, I don't know, hood it up and, and uh, cargo it up, it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't fly with me, but g- good on them if it, if it happens. So the reality is, the reality is, I think what's happened on tour and what's actually sparked it. So again, Tyrrell Hatton, um, a good Adidas athlete, had the Adidas hoodie on when he won, mm. and then Rory had mm. a Nike hoodie on. Calm, last calm, calm unit too, Tyrrell. Never, never spits it like Rory, does he? Oh yeah, no. I, I tell you what, if you need mm. to learn fishing, you want to watch <laughs> Tyrrell throw the club because the way he in just delivers that out there. In, in fact, Fraser would be happy with his fly is, fishing. Is that what they mean by casting, Phil? That, well, that's what I've interpreted as. But the idea that are they wearing it, it is purely because a sponsor has said, go and wear it. Mm. It's not mm. because, okay, choose whatever you want to go and wear today. And I'm going to wear hoodie. that. Yeah. So, so it's really, mm. I think that's what actually detracts from the argument is that it's been worn as statement mm. as opposed yeah. to as choice. Because if, if someone could actually tell me that your neck was warmer and all the rest of it, I have a no issue with a hoodie mm. on a golf course, but I have an issue with a pro wearing it because they're paid to mm. as opposed to wearing mm. it because they like golf fashion and they like the look but, but I, don't, I don't mind where it moves though in terms of the, the spectrum of, of giving a bit of creative license to what a professional athlete on a golf course can wear because for so long it's been very very regimented i mean when tiger started coming out with those round necks it was oh yeah. the, the world went crazy there for a while and it actually looked really uh, nice yeah, i was like, a fan so- of that. david deval had them as well but i'm pretty similar to phil on this actually like i, I couldn't care less if the person next to me is wearing one I myself am not going to wear a hoodie playing golf because I just don't think it, it doesn't feel comfortable to me. If the guy next mm. to me is if the, I can't if the guy the next ball. to me is wearing a t-shirt, <laughs> cool, doesn't bother me. But I'm going to wear a collar. I'm going to wear a polo. It's just I don't know if that's yeah. me being trained or whether it's me being sun smart, getting the collar up, or, or from my cricket days. I don't know what it is. So I don't care what other people wear. I don't. I don't have a problem with you know these sorts of things. But I, but personally, I'm still going to be wearing pretty. Pretty traditional or at least modern golf clothing. You boys will know this, Dav and Phil. When did the NBA change non, I guess, non-game day uh, attire to being suits? I do know. It was Ellen Iverson started to rock up wearing mm. genuine gangster style yeah. low-riding trekkie dacks and the whole lot. I mean, he came in looking like a gangster and that was when David Stern said, enough of this, uh, it's time to step it up. Because people are looking at us, expecting us to set an example, mm. uh, and now they. I'd love to. I'd wear yeah. pants that are three quarters of the way down their legs. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think, um, like, I mean, it's not the sport we're talking about, but AFL. I think if I was in charge of a club, I would make that mandated that on the way to work and from mm. work, then you wear a uniform, mm. right? Because they come in looking like. But you, these you correct me if I'm wrong, Phil. But it was it was the Michael stone. Jordan's agent manager who in in building his brand actually said we want to dress you like a golfer or a tennis player like that is the brand that we're going to create for you is built around the the game of golf we want you to be classy we want you to be well dressed and he embraced that and really hmm. So and, and was it like because it seems like it is I don't know if it is but is it, it's absolutely mandatory isn't it for NBA players to wear they have suits a dress code in press yeah they've got a minimum requirement yeah. now that, that that yeah but I think to, to Phil's point I think it's loosening <laughs> is that under uh, Adam Silver is it starting to get a little bit oh, they're just getting more creative but what they yeah. can't do on the court they can't wear hoodies on the court and I think that's the you know that's <laughs> yeah. the other point because yeah. it's fit for pur- I mean the other thing is fit mm. for purpose and I remember mm. watching my kids hit balls in the bush. And just whacking out, and they all had hoodies on. And before everyone hit a shot, they had to flick the hood back over their 
over their neck. <laughs> so it, it's not functional. So it's actually mm. people, it's no. about a statement for a statement's sake. I have no issue with it. But it's that old statement for statement's sake as opposed to wearing whatever works best or is most functional. Yeah. Mm. All right, Philly, I'm going to move along now to some questions from the gallery. Has anything come in via swagger at golfbarons.com? Funnily enough, I do have one. And I've got one, and I've got one for <laughs> well, Kipper. Would have been fact, awkward if you did Kipper, but one of them's actually mine. So I'm going to start with mine. So a question from Philbert: Why don't tour pros use carry bags? Like Sergio, when Sergio won, his caddy was using a a Vessel Adidas collab stand bag, but he's the only one. Yeah, well, I was going to say I didn't even see that. It, honestly, I think it's it's two parts to that answer. One is the sponsors love the biggest brand that they can get on the side of a bag some of the tour bags honestly like i don't know how many let's call it normal golfers have seen a proper tour bag up front and live they're bigger than mm. any bag you can get in a store unbelievable so that one part is the logoing and i think the other part is the tour player by the time they get to that level, they've just got so many little things that they think make them better so they've got you know sunscreen that's that's oil-free, sunscreen that's, you know, tacky. So, like, they've got all these different things Full that they put in their Buddha. bag. Yeah. Full, yeah, yeah, dry hand towels that, that, that you put in the bottom. You've got to have three of those. You've got to have, you know – a full 12 golf balls in all different numbers and then you got to have the free range balls that are in the back like you, and you end up having about 4000 things in these pockets that they absolutely don't need but they get used to having that it's like it's almost like they've got a, a mobile car right <laughs> everything goes in that that thing they just grab it out of the car but it's a mobile car and so i think it's it's two parts that answer it's sponsoring and the fact they're just so used to carrying all that junk cuz they don't have to carry or if you're Dave Rogers from challenge and many years ago cutting for Jared Lyle in the Australian Open at Moona Links, you may well find there's a dozen beers in there just to take the piss uh, and make his life a little bit harder while it's pouring down rain. Think, Jared thought that would be very funny. Uh, and I think he, um, I think there are a few, seen, a few extra I've dozen seen, pills in there too, balls in there as well. Oh, that's right. He, had, he was no, saying right, yeah. he, and he had a little grin at the end and just laughed. Well, how'd they get in there? <laughs> Brilliant. Or a gross of balls. They, they, it was, yeah, true. I remember this on European Tour. God, I can't remember the name of the player, but uh, it wasn't a famous player. But he had a stitch up for his caddy for the week. He put a brick in every day, an extra one, right? Starting on Tuesday, right? Every day. And he made the cut and he'd just have different ways of hiding it in the in the bag. But by day, you know, by day six, Sunday rolling around, you got six bricks in your bag. Like that that's a lot of weight. And yeah, Caddy didn't pick it up. Didn't know. Just thought it's good. You would have been strong by the end of that week, I tell you. That's a pretty good way that's, to put that's on That's the way to put on some kegs. <laughs> <laughs> He just cut. He Progressive all the, overload. Uh, so, a, a, a cutting question: How often did you give mm. advice that was ignored? Every hour. Right. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, and, and, and to follow up on that, sometimes I wasn't allowed to speak, so there was no advice allowed to be given. In I've, been to get, I've been trying to get that employed in, in our little setup, but no. That's far you, no take, luck. Do you take note, Kipper, of of all the advice that was ignored? How like a ratio of should have listened to you versus shouldn't have listened to you? <laughs> well, okay. So, so a small disclaimer here is how I start any caddying thing with any player that I ever work with is on the first day before we go out in the golf course or anything. They always just come on, let's go, and I'm like, no, no, let's sit down, and I make every player sit down for five or ten minutes, or sometimes it's hours, and discuss our rules of combat and what that engages right so i'd have a list down of how i operate and i'd take notes on how they want to operate right and no not a lot of caddies did that for some but i thought it was just so important because i don't know who the hell they are mentally um no idea what what are their triggers what are their touch points no, but so that's what i would do so one of those things from my point of view was <clears throat> i said to them i never want to make a, a wrong decision in my life right to do with your game of golf in hindsight will make very a lot of wrong decisions but but at that point in time i want it to be the exact right decision so i said here's the set of things that i go through to make sure i don't make a wrong decision and we got we went through them and then we get to a process that they're happy with right they're like okay that's too many or okay that's right well gee i'd like to add this in i'm like right great so we can sit in now looking at each other in the eye and say we'll never make a wrong decision on the course together because of this process 
But in hindsight, when the wind changes or elevation loss is greater or air density is wrong, yes, we will have made an error. There's no doubt about that. But at the time, we didn't stuff it up because of pressure, because of time, because of influence. We just did the right thing. So, so I always made sure that at the time we, 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 we had some rapport on how that was handled. So you didn't get to the point where, you know, your advice wasn't wanted. Because you already knew that they didn't want it, because mm. <laughs> they'd already flagged mm. that, or they knew that you were saying it because there was a real reason that you needed to say it, and then you'd pull them up and say, "Hang on, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't followed through on our process here," and you've, you you double tap them, you go, "That's not good enough. We haven't committed to our structure here," and you'd have a fight on the course, <laughs> but it'd be a, it'd be a fight before you hit mm. a ball, mm. right, rather than a fight mm. after you've hit one, which is way worse. So yeah, there's, I think there's a fair bit to, to be to be said about the process and avoiding <laughs> avoiding casual uh, errors out there. But but you're gonna make them no matter what. Uh, anyone? <laughs> well, normally we'd finish our podcast with a tales from the tour from Kipper, but today we've got one from the tallest of all the barons that ever has lived. Over to Philip. You've got a cracking tale of, from the tour, according to you. Let's see where this ends up. I what it will be will be the shortest tale from the tour we've ever had, but potentially the most factual. Ding. I remember and was recounting a story the other day about the 1964 Open at the Lakes. And the reason the Lakes came up is because Mike Hocking from OCM did a redesign there and I need to go and play there. And we were talking about as part of his Psychology 101 is how he would play a particular hole. But I remember talking to Jack Harris, who was a legendary Australian golfer, about the time he was playing with Jack Nicholas, and it may have been in a practice round or it may have been during the 1964 Australian Open at the Lakes. And the story goes a little like this, is that they were playing, I believe it was the 16th hole, and it was a drivable, just drivable par four if you absolutely nailed it. And anyway, Nicholas has gone to his bag and pulled out driver and walked to the tee and lined it up and then shaken his head and walked back to his bag and put driver back in the bag. And some smartass in the crowd has given it the, don't you think you can get it there, Mr. Nicholas? Probably with an accent similar to that. <laughs> <laughs> to which point he pulls out three wood, he flies it onto the front of the green, he looks at the bloke and just smirks and storms off. And that was the, <laughs> and that was the tale from the tour from the great man Jack Harris, <laughs> one of the greatest golfers Australia has ever had. Outstanding. And on that note, we'll bring this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Thanks to those of you who've been supporting us by watching Golf Barons On Demand on KO. And special thanks to our US and UK listeners who've been watching our first season on Amazon Prime Video in their respective regions. Head over to baronslife.com and sign up to get reminders about this podcast or to check out the latest issue of Barons Life Golf and Lifestyle Magazine with plenty of game-changing content inside. Until next time, Barons, from all of the Barons... Howdy ho. Bye. Thank you. Add some swagger to your swing. <laughs>